goes to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Well, today I googled the top 10 New Year's resolutions for 2010. Number 10 was to help others. Number 9 was to spend more time with the family. Number 8 was to get out of debt. Number 7 was to learn something new. Number 6 was to get organized. Number 5 was to quit drinking. Number four was to enjoy life more. Number three was to lose weight. Number two was to get fit. And number one was to stop smoking. We're going to look at those in a spiritual sense at the end of the message. But it's a time of starting over. Whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, it's always the time of the year to try to make new resolutions and to start all over. And as we look at some of the characters in the scriptures, every one of them, with probably the exception of Jesus himself, had to start over. Some of the ones that came to my mind were Adam and Eve. Just think how they had to start over, especially after the fall. How about Cain? after he killed Abel and his life after that starting over Noah Lot Jacob Jonah David Bathsheba Samson John Peter Paul and Mary the answers are blowing in the wind? I don't think so. The answers are in God's Word, revealed to us through the power of His Holy Spirit. And just like all the characters that were mentioned and ones that you might have thought at, thought at the personalities of the Scriptures, people always want to start over because of failures, because of circumstances in their life. As we saw on the top ten list, one of the things is to get fit or losing weight. And, you know, I was talking to someone today that uh, mentioned that his weight was perfect. He just happened to be 11 feet too short. Another person said that their New Year's resolution was to drive by a gym at least once a week. Well, as we take a look at uh, the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 12. We're going to look at something that Moses had said. It was a sermon that he gave to the people before they entered the promised land. There was a new start. It was going to be the end of Moses' life and a new chapter in his life was going to begin in person with God face to face. 
but there were people that were going to be going into the promised land and starting all over again. The book of Deuteronomy is the last great word from Moses. He gave it to us while he was in the wilderness through the 40 years. And now it's the end of his time with these people. And he's given them one more word from God. There was an anticipation for the people, for these young people that were going to be going into the promised land, the land flowing from milk and honey. There was an anticipation. Maybe just like for you and I, an anticipation with the new year coming, new things that we're going to find out from the Lord about ourselves, about the people in our circumstances. And hopefully we do have an anticipation that things are going to be better for us maybe as individuals in our walk with the Lord, maybe for our, our world, our society in general, with all the things that are going on. One of the things that's cool about the first five books of the Bible is that they're visual representations of what is happening to us in our own spiritual life. As we see the truths in the New Testament, God gives us visual pictures in the Old Testament. As God led the people of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness into the land of Canaan, they reproduce to us some of the same problems, the same obstacles, the same enemies, the same victories that we encounter in our spiritual journey. The bondage depicted by Israel as slaves of Egypt is the same bondage to the world we experienced before we became believers in Jesus. The land of Canaan is a land flowing with milk and honey. It pictures a life full of victory, which can be ours in Jesus Christ. All of this is God's way of picturing what is happening in our individual lives. Most of the people that are going to enter this promised land we're only going through part of the wilderness journey. There were only children when 40 years earlier, Israel had stood at Kadesh Barnea and refused to enter into the land because it was a land full of enemies and giants. If you remember, they were like grasshoppers. They feared going into a land even though God gave them that land. They weren't clinging to the promises of God they were more clinging to what their eyes saw and what their heart was telling them. Many of the people that are now going into the promised land are just young men and women, 20 or 30 years of age. And they need to be reminded, like we do, of what God has done, is doing, and what he'll continue to do to those who are putting their trust in him. Think about the 40 years that God fed over 2 million people every day with the manna that fell from heaven and just his faithfulness to the people in the wilderness. But also remember the warnings that God gave these same people to not become involved in the terrible deeds 
that were going on with the people in the land that surrounded them and that they were even going into, the enemies that were in the land. The book of Deuteronomy is a mighty revelation that God expected his people to live in the midst of a sex-saturated society. There were many things, as we're going to look at the first nine verses of chapter 12, but there are many sexual practices that are right in the religious practices of the people. Yet God expected his people, as he expects you and me, to be separate from the things that are going on in our society today. There are predicted blessings for the people who follow God's way and that are obedient to his word. And there's also curses to those who disobey God's word. Let's take a look at the first verse of chapter 12. These are the statutes and the judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. The judgments and the statutes of God are the plans, the decisions, the conditions that God has set forth for his people. He does that to you and I in his word. We have every day at our fingertips God's plan, his conditions for our lives. And notice in verse 1, he wants us to observe those. And notice how often. All the days that we live on this earth. 24-7, 365. We should be availing ourselves to God's word. Romans 3.19 says that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. God's word is not only, as we sang tonight, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, but it also keeps us accountable to God. We know that the law says or speaks to all of us who are under it. We know what we are sinners because we know that we should not steal, we should not murder, we should not bear false witness. The commandments that God has given us has shown us our sinful condition. And it shows us our need for a Savior. Throughout the Old Testament, in those first five books of Moses, we see all the blood that was shed. And we know that all the blood of the animals never changed the heart condition of the people in Moses' time, before and after Moses. Because it was only a foretaste of what was going to take place one day when Jesus went to the cross as the perfect Lamb of God to shed his blood for you and for me, that there would be a real change of our hearts and he would give us a new heart. The word that he gives us is something that should not be compromised. And I think today in our society, even in our churches, churches that are born again, there's a compromise of God's word and we need to get back to the true word of God. 
the unadulterated word of God. We need to read his word to know his word. And the word as we know is Jesus Christ. He is the word of God. He became flesh. He dwells amongst us. There was a senator in the United States who was once asked about his attitude towards whiskey. He said, if you mean the demon drink that poisons the mind, pollutes the body, desecrates family life, and inflames sinners, then I'm against it. But if you mean the elixir of a new year toast, the shield against winter chill, the taxable portion that puts needed funds into public coffers to comfort little crippled children, then I'm for it. This is my position, and I will not compromise. We can't compromise God's word. As we look at verses 2 through 4, we're going to see that God wants us to knock down those areas of our life that we compromise. Let's take a look at 2 through 4. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from the place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. All these things that we see here are the pagan sexual places that they were beautiful places. Like if you just look at um, verse 2, the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. They were plush. They were beautiful places, tremendous scenes. If we visited them today, we have our camera out and just the, the views that, that they would give us of the valleys below. But on these high places were their sacred pillars. This is where they would have their orgies. This is where they would have their sexual practices. And the people would flock this there because they were told they were worshiping God there. But not the true God. They were worshiping the God of their flesh. They were worshiping the God of the world. They were worshiping the God that was created by the religious leaders at the time. It wasn't the God of the scriptures. And today there's a God being preached that is not the God of the scriptures. It's the God of pleasure, the God of power, the God of convenience. But for those of us who are into God and his son Jesus Christ and following his way, we know his word, but are we taking advantage of studying his word, of sweating over his word, of breaking down his word and making it part of our lives more and more every day of our lives, no matter how old we are? James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Remember, the Bible is full of people of the ones who started over and over again. It's okay to start over. It's okay to have a new outlook. But are we progressing along with God? The Bible says that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Jesus establishes the basis for true worship. It's not a place. It's not a, pla it's not a place of trappings, but it's in spirit and in truth. Galatians 5, to 26. 
talks about the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. To worship in truth means you worship according to the whole counsel of God's word. We, we get into all God's word from Genesis to Revelation. We don't pick out the portions that itch our ears and feel good, but we see the whole counsel of God. Many people's worship is corrupted because they only take out of context the things that feel good to them. It isn't that they worship too little, but they might worship too much. They worship the Lord, and then they also worship the things of the world. God doesn't want such worship. It's an abomination to him. He's the only one who wants to be worshipped. I know as a coach, many times I put um, the sport that I'm coaching as a false god. It consumes my life. It takes over, and I have to go before the Lord and ask for forgiveness. And it's an amazing thing to if you don't keep things in perspective. What are the pagan places that we might have in our hearts that the Lord wants us to tear down? Is it a person? Is it a place? Is it a thing? Is it an event? Is it a time? Is it a clock? Is it a job? Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. God wants it to be an integral part of our lives, as we know. But do we really avail ourselves to that fellowship with him? Let's look at verses uh, 5, 6, and 7. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses. Out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. Notice God desires a place that he's chosen to put his name for his dwelling place. For these people who are going to move into the promised land, it's going to be in Jerusalem, it's going to be in the temple, it's going to be in the tabernacle within the temple. But for you and I here in the New Testament days, Okay, the time that the Holy Spirit is living in and through us. God dwells, he tabernacles in each believer's heart. That's where he wants to meet us, right where we are. There, you, Verse 6, there you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and your flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. And as I was preparing the message, Philippians 1.6 was something I came across, and it says, Being confident 
of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God does not want us to bring him sacrifices, burnt offerings, heave offerings, free will offerings, the firstborn of our herds or our flocks. We don't have those things. But what he does desire is a broken and a contrite heart, a heart that's broken before him, a heart that's laid out open before him. I think of Ruth in the Old Testament when she was laying at the feet of Boaz and how God wants us to do the same thing, to lay before the feet of our kinsman redeemer and just be blessed by him and just take from him the things that he shows us. But it all comes through that relationship that we have with Jesus and how much we get into his word that he can just bless us supernaturally. The spiritual things that I read in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, and all those things are the fruit of this time that we spend with Jesus Christ. That's the evidence. You know, we can be our own fruit inspectors and see how are those things in Galatians 5 expressed in our life. Do we see the gentleness? Do we see the self-control? Is there more of it than it was last year in 2008? Will there be more of it in 2010? Verse 8, you shall not at all do as we are doing here today. Every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. You know, the people were worshiping God the way they felt they needed to worship him. And God makes it very simple for us. He just wants us to be students of his word and lovers of him. The two go hand in hand. Verse 9, for as yet you have not come to the rest and inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. Remember, Moses is sharing this with the people before they enter in to the promised land. Moses is up on the mountaintop looking over and seeing the land that he's not going to be able to enter, but the people that he's leading are going to enter in. In John 5, 24, it says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and he will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. And like the Israelites who are going to cross over from the wilderness into the promised land, they're going to be blessed as they adhere to the promises of God. The very things that Moses has put in the first five books of the, of the Bible. You and I, as I just read, that we have eternal life as we put our trust in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we have crossed over from death into life. And now the promises of God are ours. And as we read God's word and we see his promises, we hold them and we live them out. We experience those things that he wants to bless us with. The greatest, of course, being himself. I want you to just flip over as we wrap up here to Psalm 19. And I want to encourage you in the year 2010 to make Psalm 19 
something that you bury in your heart, especially verses 7-11. You know, you can go to 7-11 and get a big gulp. You can go to 7-11 in uh, chapter 19 of the Psalms or Psalm 19 and drink verses 7-11. to 11. We think of things that we can wish each other in the new year or things that we can do to make ourselves happy or blessed is another biblical term for happy in the new year. And as we look at verses 7 to 11 of Psalm 19, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. To know what the Bible teaches, knowing that trends come and go. Think of all the New Year's that we've had the resolutions that we've had that we try to keep and probably have failed in keeping. Think of new news that is old news tomorrow. But God's word is fresh and it's new. The Bible is God's errorless word. It is perfect. It is God's gift to you and to me. It converts it revives, it restores, it transforms us from the inside out. We must obey it. It is full of wisdom. It makes wise the simple. The word of God is right. It's not based on emotions or human opinions. We need to change our mind to conform to God's ways and not have God conform to our ways. In Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That's who you and I want to be in 2010. God's word is that river that just brings fruit to you and to me as we avail ourselves to that and dig our roots deep into his word. We need to study and memorize his word and hide it in our hearts. It's the road map to heaven. John 13, 17 says, If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. We opened up with the ten things that the world tries to do as they make a New Year's resolution for 2010. Well, how about we apply some spiritual things to it and see if 
through the power of God's Holy Spirit, we can fulfill the spiritual New Year's resolutions. How about helping others by praying for them? How about spending more time with someone that's in the family of God that you don't know too well and get to know them better? How about giving to others? Look to give to others. Whatever way the Lord puts it on your heart. It could be financially, could be spiritually, could be socially. How about learning something new? Be a sponge soaking up God's word. How about getting organized and have a plan of action? How are you going to bring Jesus into someone else's life? How to expose them to the word of God? How about quench a thirsty world that's dry, that's parched, spiritually speaking? How about enjoy life more by following God's path? How about changing your diet and partake more of his word? How about exercising in his word more? And how about get fired up for what God wants to do in and through you in this new year? May this not be your prayer Friday morning. Dear Lord, so far, this year I've done well. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm very thankful for that. But in a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot more help. Maybe somebody out in the world of the Internet or maybe somebody that will get this tape doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior like you and I know him. And we want to give them an opportunity maybe when they're driving in their car or laying in bed or maybe feeling alone on New Year's or in the New Year's season. It feels like life isn't worth living. But we all want you to know that Jesus loves you very much. And he died for you personally. And you just need to invite him into your heart. And you can do that right now as you're listening to this message. Realize, like all of us, we've fallen short of God's perfect standards and we're sinners. And he came down on this earth and put on the human flesh and lived for 33 years and then went to a cross to die on it to shed his blood for you and for me. And that we only need to put our trust and turn from our way of doing things and follow his way. He gives us his road map here in the scriptures but more importantly, he wants to give you his son, Jesus. So if you're there and you're struggling right now, just say this prayer. Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Come into my life right now and be my Lord. 
and be my Savior. I want to be a new creature in you, Jesus. I don't understand everything, but I depend on you and your Holy Spirit to lead me and to show me the path of life. We pray that if you are out there and you are praying this prayer, that you will contact us and let us just lead you to a church in your area that can help you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And if you have a Bible or if you're there on the Internet, just Google BibleGateway.com or Blue Letter Bible and just read the book of John or read the book of Luke and get started in this adventure with the Lord Jesus Christ. And to everyone, just a happy new year in Jesus. Amen.